Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution avenged their loss uh, from New York City FC two weeks ago with a 2-1 win at home. Despite conceding early, the Revs got goals from Emma Boateng and Tejan Buchanan to take all three points on the evenings. The Revolution also worked back Adam Buxa as well as Tejan Buchanan back into the lineup as they returned from international duty while Carlos Heel made a full 45-minute appearance in the second half and registered his 16th assist on the season, which is by far the league lead in MLS right now, doubling up second place, uh, which is a current six-way tie uh, with eight assists as of this recording. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? Good. And another exciting Revolution win. I'm glad we, I'm glad we got that to talk about. Always fun to talk about three points and not the other way around. It was certainly a lot more gloomier a few years ago when we started the podcast. Uh, at this point, I, I think people are a little, they're probably getting bored of us uh, complimenting this team so much and they want to hear us rant and rave a little bit. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of negative takeaways. We're going to try, but uh, this team just keeps on rolling and rolling. And, and we're going to avoid uh, Spurs talk today, so don't worry about that. Uh, well, well, you know what? We have a third guest today, so in the interest of time, I think we will cut the Spurs talk, uh, but we'll get you next week. But that third guest, I do want to bring in my boss from the Bent Musket, Sam Minton. Sam, how's it going? Going good, and uh, since you know you want to bring up EPL, shout out to uh, Manchester United and uh, Bruno McNamara with a beautiful goal. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Glad to see uh, T Max inspiration across the pond. Um, <laughs> Well, let, let's talk. Let's let's bring it back stateside. Let's talk about the best team in MLS right now, the New England Revolution. Sam, what was your key takeaway from tonight's victory? Yeah, my key takeaways once again, Ima Boateng. He's called upon, and he just continues. To, you know, have these great performances. Um, you know, he was able to get the goal. It was a nice play by Edward Kizza. He definitely just could have tried to get his first MLS goal, but he laid it off to Ima Boateng, and he was able to slot it home. And you know, for me personally, it's something where. I'm starting to think that Ima Boateng deserves some more minutes. I asked Bruce Arena after the match about it, and he kind of made it seem like I was being way too complimentary to him. Uh, but, you know, I definitely think that Ima Boateng has done well. And once again, he just answers the call, and he seems to be Mr. Reliable uh, for the New England Revolution so far this season. So it would definitely be, at least to me, I would definitely like to see more of the Goatang uh, out in the field. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think Bruce laughed and seemed a little taken aback by your comment. I think he's just kind of confused that you were saying something positive in the press conference, Sam. I think that was just really throwing him off his game a little bit. Uh, so, you know, it, when they're winning, though, I mean, it's, it's hard to find negatives in this team. But uh, Sean, what was your thought about Boateng tonight? Uh, do you think he deserves more minutes? And then also he came off at halftime for Carlos Hill. Were you surprised he was taken off at halftime? Yeah, I mean, I thought he played really well in his passing accuracy, 95.7%. To be fair, I think just about everybody on the Revs had a pretty good passing night. Um, but, I, I mean, consistently we've seen from Boateng that he's a very, very dangerous player. And when the Revolution have kind of been without their you know, their key danger men, I think when the Revolution are without Carles Heel, um, Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo, and Carles, and um, Tyson Buchanan, as they were tonight, then there's a lot of pressure on somebody else to kind of step up and create chances. And it, Boateng has kind of been that player um, in those moments, and he certainly was tonight. Um, you wonder where the goal is going to come from, and, and he provided that spark and, and got the goal. Um, so I th certainly think he's earned more minutes. The, the Always the question is when the Revolution are 100% healthy, which they're not right now, um, where do those minutes come from? And I think that's kind of the, the difficult question to answer. Um, and I still think that the answer is, you know, off the bench when everybody's healthy is that he's going to be that super sub when you need a goal. Um, but with that said, you know, everything he's done, 
um, certainly has earned him more minutes. And it, it's tough to say that he, he shouldn't be starting games. Uh, I think he's just, you know, the, the, the problem is he's he plays in a position when when everyone's healthy. Um, it's it, minutes are hard to come by and certainly starts are hard to come by. Yeah. And, you know, I, Bruce, after the game, mentioned that it was between taking off Botang or Captoom, and he felt Captoom was a little more fit. Obviously, Botang ha- doesn't have a whole lot of minutes. Um, now, when he, he does get those minutes, he's really shining. He's doing really, really well. So I think I kind of agree with the rest of the roundtable here that he, more minutes should be coming his way. Uh, but I, I wonder if Bruce has doubts that he's a 90 minutes player or if that is the best way to utilize him, if maybe his speed is better in short spurts. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious to see how he's utilized forward because I think he is making a very, very strong case to start and kind of be on that left wing where Tristison hasn't really worked out. Um, I know they've, they've gone to the diamond a little bit and obviously some players are going to be coming back. So maybe he kind of moves back to a bench role uh, regardless. But right now, I mean, you look at the players that they, they ran out tonight uh, in the starting lineup, uh, obviously a lot of players missing. Um, Boateng, I, I think, was a shining star in that first half. And uh, yeah, obviously he had the goal scored, but that first 20 minutes, they, they the rest of the team kind of slacked a little bit. And um, I, as I say, I thought he was one of the better players the first half, was surprised he came off at halftime. Uh, we did get a question from Cleggie. I'm going to just hop into this one real quick since it's related. But he says, after Boateng's goal and Tristison's suspension, do we ride the hot hand and have Boateng start uh, while Tristison comes off the bench as an impact sub? Um, I don't mind that. And, and maybe Tristison comes in for Boateng. Maybe when he tires down, maybe we see Boateng for 60 minutes or so and, and then bring in Tristison. Um, they've been playing Tristison a little more centrally anyway. So I think maybe if they go to a 4-2-3-1 and they, they need a left winger, uh, I'd be fine with that. Um, but with the players returning back from uh, international break, you know, Tejan Buchanan is going to be in the lineup. Books is going to be in the lineup. Heel is going to be back in the starting lineup soon. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if there's going to be a long-term starting spot. Uh, Sean, do you have any thoughts on that about Boateng staying in the starting lineup? No, I, I agree with that. If the options are Tristan and Boateng, then yeah, I'd rather see Boateng start. But I don't think either of them are going to eventually start whenever, you know, assuming everyone gets healthy. Um, and I don't, I don't want to delve too much into what I think the, the starting lineup is because we've, we've talked about that before. But I think if you if you do have, you know, Carles Heel, Gustavo Bo, Adam Buxa and, and Tejan Buchanan all starting, I don't think there's really room for either of those two players. And part of that is in what you saw tonight. Um, in which, you know, Matt Polster covered a lot of ground. He had to do a lot of work to, you know, fill in for Brandon By when Brandon By pushed forward. He was just about everywhere. And I think they used Captoom to kind of complement that on the other side. I don't think Captoom had anywhere near the impact of Matt Polster, and that's something we'll talk about later. Um, but I, I just, I have trouble seeing um, the Revolution finding a way to make a formation work where they don't have another central midfielder next to Matt, Matt Polster. So with that in mind, I just don't, I don't think it's a, a a Boateng versus Tristan conversation long-term. It might be a short-term conversation. And then that conversation, I go with Boateng, but but long-term, I, I think it's probably neither. Sam, anything to add before we move on to Sean's takeaway? Nah, besides that, I definitely agree with you. Obviously, if it's Boateng versus Tristan, I think Tristan has just been too unreliable. So I would definitely go with Boateng. But at the end of the day, when this team is 100% healthy, he's going to be more of a super sub uh, to come off the bench. Yeah, I think this conversation is more damning for Tristison, who seems to be sliding down and seems to be one of the more disappointing signings in the offseason. Uh, I wouldn't call him a bust. I still think we're seeing some positive things come out of him. He had a very nice set piece in Philadelphia. I still think Tristison has a role on this team, uh, but I think you know you compare him to Boateng. I don't know many people that would rather see Tristison uh, than Boateng right now in the starting lineup or, or getting more minutes, I should say. Uh, Sean, what is your key takeaway from tonight's 2-1 win? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this was a difficult one to have a takeaway from because the revolution, I don't know if there was anything that I really learned about the revolution in this game that I didn't already know. But with that said, I thought one guy that kind of stood out to me that, you know, has gotten a lot of press for his records, but not maybe as much press for really outstanding performances that he deserved. And that's Andrew Farrell. I thought Andrew Farrell had one of his better games of the season. He led the team in tackles with three. He led the team in interceptions with two. He led the team in clearances with three. Um, but on top of that, I don't really think he stepped the foot wrong defensively. But what really kind of stood out to me was his passing. Um, not so much the passing percentage. It was at 83.5%, which you know was a, a good number. But for for tonight's performance, I think just about everybody was ahead of him on that. Um, but he had a key pass in this game, and he had a lot of long balls. He led the team in accurate long balls with eight. Um, but they weren't just you know lucky long balls played um, forward just kind of clear the ball. They were you know with purpose, and they actually led to a couple of Revolution counterattacks in this one. Um, and that was just something that stood out to me was that I thought Andrew Farrell defensively was very very solid, uh, but in transition actually played a key role in, in you know, playing long balls forward to get to guys to start counterattacks. And there was a lot of times where I think the Revolution bypassed the midfield, especially in the first half. And, you know, that a lot of that was because Farrell was able to play really good passes forward. And I think that was, you know, kind of necessary with, um, you know, Captoom not being as involved as, as maybe you'd like for him to be as a central midfielder. But um, in, a, in a game where, you know, the Revolution kind of proved to me that they are who I thought they were, which is a really good team with a lot of depth. Um, Andrew Farrell just kind of stood out to me as one of his better performances of the season. And I think he you know, deserves credit for not just defensively, but offensively providing a spark for the Revolution. Yeah, Mr. Reliable came in pretty good with some long balls today. Um, had had a small effect on, on both plays and kind of made both uh, goals happen. So, uh, Sam, anything to add on Andrew Farrell and his performance tonight? Yeah, I definitely thought those direct balls that he did a great job, you know, providing that service and just doing well. And, you know, like you said, he's been Mr. Reliable. And also to go back to the post-game press conference, Bruce Arena seemed very confused by why Jeff Lemie was asking about Andrew Farrell's uh, long balls. But he definitely had an impact on those uh, two goals. So credit to him. It was definitely another uh, quality performance from him. Yeah, it, you know, one thing that I think is important to note is that we were questioning his role in the lineup, and obviously he's a club legend, as Brad Feldman would tell you, uh, and, and certainly his impact on the team, you know, has been felt throughout the years, um, but, you know, his spot was kind of in question earlier this season, and he's put in some reliable performances of late and has really stepped it up, along with Henry Kessler, who, since returning to the lineup with John Bell out, uh, has been pretty solid as well, so... Um, yeah, overall, I think positive marks for me from Andrew Farrell as well. Uh, my Kate takeaway, I'm going to go on the negative side. I know people want to hear us rant and rave. I want to talk about Wilfred Captoom. Sam, we did a, a pregame Twitter spaces that I know we did not advertise. So a lot of people probably missed it, but, uh, I, you know, you, you asked me who is going to have the show me game. Who's got a lot riding tonight. And I said, Wilfred Captoom. He had a bit of a lackluster outing in Philadelphia. I thought this was a game that, with the injuries, with people returning, this was going to be one more chance for him to make an impression. He was probably going to at least get some minutes, if not start. Uh, he did end up starting, and I wouldn't be sh surprised if this is maybe one of the last auditions he has this season with people returning back to the lineup, with people getting healthy. Um, just another not very effective performance from him tonight. His numbers were, were mostly fine. I can pull up his uh, pass accuracy here in a second. I had it up a second ago, and I have... Lost it, so I'm going to stall for time. 90.3%. 90.3%, which doesn't sound bad, 
But outside of the passing accuracy, he really did not have a whole lot going for him. He just wasn't very um, involved in the game. Davies said he never found the game. Uh, one for four on duels. He had a clear. He was dispossessed once. He had five recoveries in, I think, about 60 minutes. So he was there, but he wasn't really an effective player. It wasn't a performance that you wouldn't expect from Maciel um, or a healthy Luis Caicedo, I think, would have played a little bit uh, better and had more of an effective game from Captain today. So passing-wise, he was fine. He didn't make any huge errors, but he just didn't really have many moments today where I, I thought he was um, wonderful. There was one moment, uh, I think, in the first half where he had a 1-2 with Teal, and then uh, uh, Captoom kind of crossed it low. Uh, that was immediately cleared, and then Captoom gathered it back and kind of went down to the baseline and forced out for a corner. Um, I thought that was, you know, pretty okay. Uh, there was a play where Captoom kind of crossed the ball in for Kizza. Um, and because I kind of chested it down to Teal, but it didn't really lead to anything. Um, those are my two notes on Captoom. Uh, those are my two times I noticed Wilfred Captoom on the field today. So that's pretty bad that, you know, there was just not a whole lot I can say about Wilfred Captoom. And for a guy that was supposed to be one of the shining stars of the prior offseason, um, uh, you know, we're getting Maciel production from him. And I would not be surprised if the team moves on from him this year. Some signings like Tristison, you can say you see, you know, some some decent set pieces and there are some games he does really well I, i'm finding it very hard to find positive things to say about captoom and he just doesn't seem to be a fit for this team craig i think you i think you stole my take from uh, last week but I, I, i'm 100 with you um i i call all captoom a bust last week and nothing in this game changed my opinion of that the one thing i will say is that i think in philadelphia there were a lot of bad turnovers from captoom and poor passes and times he was dispossessed and he mostly avoided that today but you know, the same issue that he had last week was just lack of involvement. He had 35 touches over 60 minutes, and that's not enough for a central midfielder. Polster, you know, went 90 minutes and played more time with the with the team um, up a man. But he had 101 touches. So uh, you get the idea. The two of them are playing side by side. Captain had 35 touches. Polster had 101. Um, and, I, I, you know, he just didn't have an impact defensively. Uh, you know, offensively, his passing was OK when he got involved. Again, you know, not that involved. Um, which is, you know, a big problem, I think, for a central midfielder that you expect a lot out of. And I think is why, the you know, the revolution bypassed the midfield a bit because they don't necessarily trust Captoom. Um, so to say he did better than the Philadelphia game, I would I would I would say that. Um, but it's not really saying much because, you know, he wasn't very involved. The only thing he did better was when he did get the ball, um, he didn't turn over as much as he did against Philadelphia. So I, I don't I still don't know what he offers. The revolution that Scott Caldwell doesn't offer, um, certainly that a healthy Louis Caicedo doesn't doesn't offer. I think, you know, Scott Caldwell would have had just the same, if not better, passing accuracy than Wilford Captoom had he, he started this game and could have done, you know, more defensively than Wilford Captoom did. So, uh I'm with you. He's he's making a ton of money to do. I don't really know what, um, you know, the best you can say about him tonight is he wasn't a liability. Uh, but you expect a lot more from a guy you know, making five hundred thousand plus. A key takeaway. So nice. We made it twice. Uh, Sam, anything to add on Captoom? And uh, do, you, do you think there's any kind of path for minutes going forward from him? Or, or are, are you with us and that you're kind of ready to wave the white flag on him? Yeah, I think I, I was kind of uh, taken aback when there was the first de declaration that he was a bust. But I think it's the only way you can think about it now. And to be honest, not just Captoom, I would say really all Bruce Arena's international transfers uh, from this last, you know, kind of window, uh, they've been kind of really disappointing. Obviously, Tristison kind of has something still there. And obviously, Mafla has just been hurt the entire time. But I think with Captoom, he kind of 
just have to give up. Obviously, you have a player like Maciel, a young guy. You want to give him minutes. So at the end of the day, I don't think that the Wolford captain signing will go down as a very bad signing. You know, it'll, just in recent history, it'll minus a Bootner. But I would even say Bootner was more had more of an impact than Captoon. So, yeah, it's rough, uh, especially because all we heard about was how he came up from Barcelona and everybody was so excited about that. I was probably excited about it, too. But I think the only way he can view it right now is that with the money he is making and the lack of production, he's a bust. It's really as simple as that. I, I actually like the Bootner comparison because Bootner, you don't necessarily think of him being a massive liability, but he didn't ever really shine and you needed him to shine. They were kind of on similar uh, dollar amounts. I, I believe Bootner was at 660 and Captoon was around 500. Um, so Captoon's not a TAM player, uh, but. Still, I, I think there were a lot of expectations for Bootner and Captoom, and they kind of fell off. Mafla, I'm, I'm willing to give a bit of a pass to because he's been hurt. Um, and even when he came back, you know, Jones has held down that left back spot pretty well. So I don't think he would ever get minutes anyway. So um, I, I don't really want to say it's a poor reflection of his ability. You know, he, he might be a perfectly fine left back, but we just haven't seen it because Dewan Jones is just that much better. Uh, and Tristison, again, as you say, you know, I see a little bit there. You know, if he has year two with the Revs, if he comes back next year, I could see him breaking out and playing a little bit better. Um, but CapTube, you know, the way I kind of see it is I, I really don't have a lot of faith for a year two if, if Wolfram CapTube is still around or if his contract runs through next year. Um, John, anything? I, you, you kind of already rented on CapTube. Any response to what Sam said? No, I, I just completely agree that, you know, the international signing so far – um, have been disappointing from Bruce Arena. You know, Captoom, I'm, I'm ready to declare a bust. I'm not ready to declare that of, of Mofflin and Tristan like you, Greg. But, um, you know, I think I think Mofflin has shown he can play when he's healthy. And Tristan, I think, has shown some some signs that he could get there, which, you know, like like you said earlier, we haven't seen from Captoom. But it is, you know, if the Revolution weren't performing so well, I think we'd be talking a lot more about this. But because the Revolution are performing so incredibly well and on pace to break the record for the most points ever, you know, nobody really cares that the fourth highest paid player on the Revs, the fifth highest paid player on the Revs, and the seventh high, highest paid player on the Revs, all of which were brought in by Bruce Arena in the offseason, have been disappointing. And, you know, you can give Mafla a pass on his talent because he's been injured, but, you know, you knew he was injury prone when the Revs signed him. So at the same time, it does, it's Bruce doesn't get a pass on that. Um, you know, he was known as old glass legs, and he's lived up to that reputation for the most part. Um, so, well, like I said, like you said, you know, you can't knock his talent because he's been hurt. Um, you can still knock the signing because it was predictable that he was going to be hurt. Um, and with that said, you know, Dewan Jones has been one of the best left backs in the league this year and is earning interest, earning interest from international um, clubs overseas that could sign him. Uh, so so he's played so well. It hasn't mattered. You know, Captoom, I think that has actually been one of the, the questionable spots in the roster where you don't necessarily know who the best person is next to Scott Caldwell. So I do think that that one is, has hurt the revolution a little bit. And then Tristison, um, you know, I, I think when the, everyone's healthy, you know, even if he was performing well, uh, he might not be a starter. So, you know, at least two of those three signings haven't really hurt the revolution because other guys have stepped up and done so well that even if they're performing well, um, you know, they might not be getting minutes. So to me, the, the big the big hole and the biggest disappointment is Captoon because I think the Revolution could have used somebody in that spot that he perform that he plays at because the other options of you know Masiel Caldwell and Caicedo when he's healthy you know are, are good options but they're not amazing options. I agree with everything you said there. And I, I, one correction though, I think you said uh, a pairing go along with Scott Caldwell. I think it meant Matt Polster, uh, who who has been <laughs> yes, kind Matt of a Polster. stable force <laughs> in the midfield. Scott Caldwell uh, though 
should be get an honorable mention tonight. Another save for the best closer in New England. I believe he's eight for eight or nine for nine on the season in terms of uh, save opportunities. Uh, and and you know, I, I think they've conceded only in the game he started. I don't think they've conceded uh, in any relief appearance from Scott Caldwell. So once again, nailing down the save. Great job, Scott Caldwell. Um, I do want to talk about one person that was missing from this lineup, very noticeable from missing from the starting lineup and from the 18. And there were two goalkeepers in the 18. So if he was any sort of available, he would have been at least in the 18. But Gustavo Bo missing the second week in a row. Sam, where are you on this? Are, are you concerned? Do you think that we have maybe have another Carlos Heel situation where there's a mysterious injury and it might be a big deal? Uh, right now, Bruce is kind of playing this off as a minor injury. He said he was expecting Bo to be available this weekend. That was not the case. Um, are you concerned about Gustavo Bo? It's kind of interesting because I was able to attend training, I believe, on uh, Wednesday, and I was able to ask Bruce because he was – Bo was not at training, so I asked and asked about the comments Bruce has made, and he said, we'll see. And, you know, he did say, yes, he's not at training. But after the game today, he uh, he was asked a question by Tom Quinlan, basically along the lines of saying, do you kind of have the ability to take it really slow with Bo and just with how well the team's playing? And he kind of made it seem like Gustavo Bo could have played or even appeared on the bench tonight if the Rebs were maybe in a playoff battle or something like that. But he didn't tonight. So I think we could see him soon. I'm not as concerned as with Carlos Heel. Also, too, Carlos Heel is just the heartbeat of that entire attack. I don't think the Rebs can win an MLS Cup about Carlos Heel. As much as I love Gustavo Bo, the Rebs do have some strikers. Um, you do get Adam Buxa, and you have Tejan Buchanan on the wing causing chaos. So I think... Um, he should be coming back soon. I think the Revs are just really taking it slow. They realize the lead they have at the top of the Eastern Conference, and they're not going to rush it back. They realize that the, uh, Bruce Arena has said it plenty of times that you know the MLS regular season is a long one. You, you count the playoffs. That's what they're focused on. They're focused on making a long run. So I think they're focused on having a completely healthy Gustavo Bo instead of re- rushing him back and possibly you know even him getting hurt again. I completely agree with everything Sam just said and think he's 100% right on this one. The only thing I'll add is that, as as Sam knows better than anybody, Bruce Arena has been completely untransparent about you know revolution injuries this year, um, starting with Carly's heel. So it's well, I, I think that what he's saying is probably accurate about Gustavo Bo, and I think that Sam's analysis is accurate. It's hard to say for certain just because because Bruce Arena has been uh, so bad or so. Uh, such a refusal to be transparent about injuries this season that it, it's ever hard to say for certain that this isn't something more than he's letting on. Yeah, and by the way, I, I guess we should uh, also give credit. I, I know he gave credit earlier a few weeks ago to um, Seth McComer of the Bent Musket on his report for Carlos Hill. He said Carlos Hill will be about out for three-plus weeks, and I believe Carlos Hill was out exactly three-and-a-half weeks um, so, and, and then uh, I think, Sam, you talked to Carlos Heel and confirmed that it was a sports hernia. So Seth had that one uh, nailed completely right, which we knew all, all along. Uh, but I, I think a, a tip of the cap uh, deserves to go to Seth because without that report, no one knows what exactly would have happened. Um, and, and we would have been very in the dark like we are right now with uh, Gustavo Bo. Um, and on that Carlos Heel front, I don't understand what Bruce's angle was to deny that report because I, I don't think that was... I think that looked a lot worse than 
that injury was, you know, finding out that Carlos Hill is over in Spain and saying, oh, you know, Carlos Hill isn't expected to miss any time the day of a game um, against Nashville. And then Carlos Hill is missing the next five games. I mean, it, it looked a little bit worse in my mind that, you know, Bruce was trying to hide something when really I don't think Carlos Hill's injury was worth hiding. It was it was a minor, you know, sports hernia um, that didn't require surgery. So, um you know, I, this might be – I feel like we're going through this again, except we have less details. I feel like it's probably a minor injury. I feel like Bruce Arita is not trying to freak people out about it. But by doing this shtick, you know, I, I think it does freak out people that, that there is something looming. Uh, so I, I, I'm i not totally concerned. I think he's just trying to, you know, hide things. But I, I, I don't know. Sam, though, I, I want to also touch on one more point you made there about bringing back Gustavo Bo slowly. I, I asked uh, – a few months ago, Bruce Arena, a question at the press conference. I think at the time it was about Luis Caicedo and maybe Christian Mafla and a few other people working their way back from fitness. But I, I said, you know, does having the lead in the Eastern Conference, does that let you um, kind of bring people back slowly? And does it kind of bide their time? You know, can you hold them back a little bit more? Um, and he said, you know, we don't hold anyone back. If they're good, they're good. So, you know, I, I think that this is probably a scenario where um, – Bo not being in that 18 tonight shows there is something there. It's not nothing. Um, but I, I agree. I think if you're in the revolution spot and you can err on the side of caution, err on the side of caution. There's no need to push Gustavo Bo in an early September game when you have a 15-point lead in the Eastern Conference. That's just kind of nonsense. So, um, yeah, it, it's not great. It's not good to see the lack of Gustavo Bo out there. But um, the Revs are able to take care of business without him. So, you know, all, all all's good, I guess. One person I wanted to touch on real – actually, a couple people I wanted to touch on real quick. First, we'll go with Brandon Bai. Brandon Bai is obviously working his way back from injury. Another 90 minutes tonight. Um, Sam, what did you think of Brandon Bai tonight? He, he seemed a little out of position, seemed to get a little caught off guard on the New York City goal early. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Bai's performance tonight? Yeah, definitely was not his best performance. That While I do want to give credit to New York, you know, that was a beautiful ball, but Bai just let his man go. It was really some bad defending. So it's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, he was recovering from an ankle injury, but especially, you know, with how he was doing this season, you kind of expect more from him. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But tonight definitely was not a good night for him. So hopefully he'll be able to bounce back against Columbus. Yeah, I agree with Sam. You know, I think, you know, a lot of times you see a play like that and you can justify it because, you know, they had maybe two options of guys to cover. He only had one guy to cover on that play, and he let him go by him. It, the Revolution actually had numbers back. Um, so that was a really bad play. You don't want to you know, burn a guy just for one bad play. But overall, um, he had 93.2% passing accuracy, which for him is, is really good. It's a great percentage. Um, but I think offensively, a lot of his crosses weren't great. He attempted 10 crosses. Only one of them found a teammate. Um, you know, got forward a lot, but I think the end product wasn't always there. He did have one key pass. Um, very much a mixed bag, I thought, from him. Um, but it's it's hard, you know, for that one defensive play that you know cost the Revolution a goal and uh, put them behind early, you know, to to ignore that. And I I do think that you expect a lot better from Brandon By than what you saw in that play. Yeah, not his best moment overall. And you expected, uh, you know, some solid defense out of him. Obviously, he's very good in the air and he's been improving defensively. Not a, not a great moment. Not going to end up on his highlight reel. Um, I thought his crossing too left a little bit. Uh, 
you know, a little bit desired. He had one really, really nice cross on the play with Teal where Brandon Bay is out wide. Teal pushes it up to him. I think it was in the 39th minute. Uh, Teal goes to Bay. Bay sends a beautiful cross in, but Teal was just running from too far of a spot away and it just is barely out in front of him. And actually McNamara uh, kind of comes in and, you know, fires off a shot off the post. Um, so that deserved a goal because I thought that was a, a wonderful cross by Bay. Uh, but outside of that one cross, I thought Brandon Bay did not have great service on the night. Um, so a, a little bit of a mixed bag from from Brandon By where a little bit poor defensively and maybe you know we're talking about a game where he is an assister uh, uh, on that teal play, um, but I expect a little bit better from him and hopefully he he regains his form. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that cross was his one accurate cross out of ten attempts, and I also think that accounted for his one key pass. So that that one play was a, a great highlight, but offensively I, I completely agree i think his crossing left a lot to be desired other than that one really good one it was also completed to tommy mcnamara who was not who he was going for and and to his defense you know if you watch that play i think if he curls it any closer to the back line it's probably deflected out uh so he he really put it into a very dangerous spot where if teal bunbury is able to reach that spot it's a goal uh, or at least it's a very very good chance um, and if you, you watch that play, Teal Bunbury had to sprint from a, you know, he, he had to run a, a very long distance to, to get to that spot. So um, tough play. It, it was a very, very good cross. He deserves positive marks on that, that low cross. Uh, but yeah, that would you say, Sean, one out of 10, I think. Uh, yeah, one out of 10. Yeah, I mean, that, that's his one downfall. If he could cross, he'd, he wouldn't be on the revs anymore. He'd be playing at a higher level. But um, yeah, ho, ho, defensively, I thought it was a bit of an off night for Brandon By as well. Uh, one other guy, too, I want to touch on real quick, who... I think might have had an off night coming back from uh, national team duty. Matt Turner had uh, a bit of a scary moment there kind of towards the end, replacing reigning team of the week goalkeeper Brad Knighton. Uh, you know, Matt Turner, not not a whole lot of action for him, uh, but had some shaky moments from Sean. A- any thoughts on Matt Turner tonight? Yeah, it brings back a comment that he made um, after the last break when he you know won the Gold Cup with the U.S. and then played right away. I think, it was, I think that time it was a um, a Sunday night gold cup final and then he played again for the revs on wednesday and this one i believe was a thursday night game and then playing for the revs on saturday so similarly very quick turnarounds and he you know not after that game but after the game after that he he mentioned that it was tough for him emotionally to come back and play that game um to go from that high that he had from that and then you know, jump right into mls so quickly you know lack of sleep and everything that that you know probably made it so it wasn't necessarily his most comfortable game. So, you know, based on that, I, I think I even said in the last podcast that I kind of thought Bruce Arena, um, because Turner was so transparent last time that, you know, maybe, you know, he wasn't 100% there for that Wednesday game. And because Brad Knighton was playing so well that I thought Bruce Arena might actually not start Matt Turner in this game, but he did. And, you know, he, his judgment was off in a couple of plays. It's, you don't say that about Matt Turner very often. He's been so good for the revolution. But it's hard not to wonder if there was kind of a, a hangover effect from, um, especially coming off that Honduras game, a, a very a very emotional game for the U.S. when you know the, everyone was so down at halftime and they scored four goals in the second half to get a, a very important win. Um, you, you do have to wonder if you know he came back from that, probably didn't sleep a lot on that plane ride and, and had such a quick turnaround for this game um, that that was playing a role because it, it didn't it was not his best performance. Um, certainly they won the game. I don't think there was anything he could do on the goal, um, but there were a couple other plays that I think he was probably lucky he didn't get burned on because his judgment wasn't as good as it usually is. Uh, Sam, anything to add on Matt Turner? I, I think, uh, Sean, you put everything very well there, but I want to see if Sam has anything before we move on. Yeah, it was just so weird, you know. It, it almost reminded us of that first game when Brad Knighton was in there where it was just an uncharacteristic mistake, my God. Um, But, yeah, it was really kind of stunning to see. You know, luckily it didn't end up in more goals, but, 
you know, like Sean mentioned, it can just be that high of, you know, coming back from international play and kind of making sure you're focused. But it was definitely weird uh, seeing Matt Turner make a mistake. I don't know if you want to call it a mistake, but it seemed like a, a mistake there. Yeah, and Sean Johnson almost outdid him a, a few minutes later with a pass directly to the Revolution, and uh, Sean Johnson had to make an amazing save uh, off of Carlos Hill to keep the game uh, two to one. Uh, so not not great moments from either uh, Matt Turner or Sean Johnson late in the game. Not not really looking like sweeper keepers at all. Uh, but you know maybe they both have a ham- hangover effect uh, after you know the United States national team duty uh, and. By the way, I want to take a quick moment before getting listener questions to talk about our sponsor, Glasso Kits. Glasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. That's a lot of countries. 80 countries. It's crazy. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does selection with every corner of the planet represented. Check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection, and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter, or, uh, well, and... Uh, their Instagram, Galasso Kits, on Instagram for updates on their new inventory. They have a handful of red items, Revs items still up for sale, as well as countless United States men's national team items, so you can support your home country as they stumble through World Cup qualifying yet again. They are always adding to their selection, ranging from clubs to uh, from clubs to Brunei to a LAFC retro jacket. How can you have a retro jacket for a team that is less than a decade old? I don't have any clue, but Galasso Kits has it. So when you find something you like, if you use promo code REVSRECAP, you'll save 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and the code are in the show notes. Let's get to some listener question, guys. I'm really excited about this one. Um, let's start out. Actually, we got a question here. just came in from Traeger Durati. Does the backline turn it down a notch with Matt Turner and Nett overnight because they view Turner as a security blanket? How do you change that mentally? Uh, so, Sean, let's let's start there. Do you think it might just be that defense has a little bit more faith in Matt Turner? Or, you know, as you say, do you think it's more of a hangover effect, like you said? You know, I, I don't think it's that. I think that um, if you kind of look at who the Revolution have played with Brad Knighton available and with Matt Turner available, um, I think if the defense looks worse with Matt Turner, a lot of it is because they've played more difficult opponents. New York City FC is a really good team. Um, it's a different game than playing a Philadelphia Union side that's playing a bunch of teenagers. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I think if you go back and, and look through the various you know, bad defensive games is because they've played against better teams. Like at the last New York game at Yankee stadium, the defense looked really bad. Um, Brad Knight, you know, again, I don't think that was because of who was in goal. So um, I, I just think it's more of a matchup thing that, you know, good offenses can expose the refs defense a bit more um, and less about who's in goal. But, you know, I wouldn't blame them if they felt a bit more comfortable with Matt Turner behind him because they, he is the best goalkeeper in the league. Yeah, I I do believe, you know, one of the games where Brad Knight you know, came in, uh, Brad Feldman on the broadcast mentioned that, you know, maybe the back line was laying off and almost like they had Matt Turner in that. So it is kind of interesting, you know, here the announcers say that, you know, maybe that is the case. But I, I would say more often, you know, I just think that the New England, like Sean said, they play uh, competitive teams and you got to balance that when you're looking at, you know, Knighton's performance versus Turner's performance. So I wouldn't say it's that. I just think, you know, sometimes it's not the fact that they're taking, you know, a foot off the gas pedal. It can just be that, you know, they're facing good opponents and credit to NYCFC. They're very good opponents. They have a good attack. So I think it's more credit to NYCFC than the revolution just letting up. 
I was just going to say, and a lot of the games that Matt Turner is missing for, too, as during international breaks, when the Revolution are playing teams that are also missing a lot of guys um, for international breaks, you know, top strikers even. And you know, even look at the Philadelphia game. They were missing seven guys due to the international break. So you were playing a very weakened Philadelphia squad. And, you know, yes, Brad Knighton had a good game and the defense probably looked a bit better that game than it did this game. But it was an easier opponent. Um, so, I, I, you know, I. I think it's more of a coincidence on who they're facing. Well, not even a coincidence. It happens because you know Matt Turner is missing when other guys are missing because of the international uh, breaks. But I, I think it's a lot more of that than you know anything of the the defense taking it easy when Matt Turner was in net. Yeah, and, and in terms of the mentality too, I don't think it's necessarily a mentality. They did seem a little poor at the beginning of this game, uh, and I think that might have just been New York City came in with a little bit more energy, as you guys said. You know, this is a tough opponent. So I'm not I'm not totally sold on um, you know maybe the defense switches off a little bit I think it might just be a road game New York City is trying to dictate it from the start and maybe they just you know get off to the right start I mean outside of that play that I think was Brandon By's fault um, you know Matt Turner didn't necessarily have any horrible moments <laughs> until the end of the the game there uh, where I think he was a little over aggressive so I, I don't know I thought the defense played I don't want to say necessarily say great but I, I just think that they might have been caught off on the back foot a little bit against a very very strong opponent so um, did uh, we got a question here on discord from Cameron did Kizza earn more game time after tonight for the record I thought he was poor tonight uh, Kizza I, I'm not a huge fan of Edward Kizza. We're, we've seen him two straight games now, two straight starts. Um, hold up play, all right. Uh, I, I think he could use a little bit of work. First touch, could use a little bit of work. He did get his first assist tonight, but it was from a Teal Bunbury low cross that he, he really couldn't control, uh, and he salvaged the play a little bit by tapping it in an open space and setting up uh, Emmanuel Botang's uh, goal uh, in the first half. So he gets credit for making the assist. Um, he does have some, some decent awareness, but... Overall, I'm not in love with him, and I don't think he's a finished product. Uh, and I personally don't like him as an MLS starter. I'm not sure how much of a future he has in this league. Um, just seems to be a little rough around the edges. Maybe he's going to be a bit of a project. I'm not ruling him out as a bust just yet. Uh, but in terms of did he earn more game tight game time after tonight, uh, I am a pretty solid no. Uh, I, I think he can go back to Revs 2 and develop a little bit more. Sam, am I wrong with this take? Like always, Greg, you are not wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, I thought Kissa did have a good performance. Um, his hold-up play, you know, he's been solid. But I'd rather see a Teal Bunbury come on as a sub when you have guys like Bo and Busa healthy. Um, I feel that he's, like you said, more of a project. Get him some time of revs, too. Obviously, he's been able to perform well down there. Just kind of continue to have him fine-tune his skills. And maybe in a year or two, then he would be in a position to be a solid bench piece or, you know, even more. But for right now, you know, this season, I think ideally you have Kizza with Revs 2 and you have a guy like Teal Bunbury coming off the bench, you know, replacing a player up top. And, you know, hopefully it's not like Justin Rennix. I believe I saw a Twitter comparison that compared uh, Kizza to Rennix. And uh, no offense to Justin Rennix, but I really hope Edward Kizza does not end up like him. But, you know, it definitely seems like more of a project and then a future investment when it comes to a Kizza. It might have been from a, a, a certain co-host of ours uh, who has the <laughs> night off. Sean, uh, any thoughts on Kizza? No, I completely agree with what Sam said. I think 
I do think that he's gotten better from game to game for the revolution when we've seen him play. Um, I thought he played fine tonight, but at the same time, I think going into the game, he's the fourth striker on the revolution roster. And I think going out of the game, he is still the fourth striker on the revolution roster. You know, when Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa are healthy, they're starting and Teal Bunbury is the first guy, you know, to fill in if one of them is out. Um, so I don't think any of that has changed, but I, I do think that he has looked better and better as the season's gone on. Um, but I'm you know, far from ready to say that he should be getting more minutes um, when people are healthy. I don't, I, I don't see him as kind of, an, if, if everyone's healthy, I don't really see him as an option um, off the bench. I don't know what scenario you'd put him in for. So um, I think he could have a future with the revs, but I don't think that, you know, as the revolution head towards the playoffs and go on a playoff run this year, that he's going to be much of a part of that. Yeah, I don't want to say he doesn't have a future in MLS or anything like that, but I don't. If Kizza is playing significant minutes in the 2021 playoffs, something has gone wrong. I'll put it that way. Um, we got a question from TSB11. After Tejan came on, we saw both Teal and Tommy play opposite him on the wing. Did either of them impress you out wide? Sean, what are your thoughts about uh, Teal and Tommy McNamara playing out wide tonight? Uh, I thought they were okay. I, I mean, in both cases, I don't think either one really impressed me too much i didn't think teal had i thought he teal had a pretty quiet game um he did have a couple of chances where he got himself into dangerous spots but i don't think he was you know particularly effective when he was out wide and you know same with tommy mcnamara i thought you know tommy mcnamara has been very good for the revolution this year playing in all sorts of different roles but you know he played the full 90 minutes and had 50 touches um and again the revolution were getting a lot of time on the ball especially when they're up a man um so that you know he wasn't as impactful as we've seen him be in the past but you know with that said i thought he was fine um nothing about this performance changes my opinion of tommy mcnamara which has gone up a lot this year and um i think he's been a key contributor to the revs and you know has really made himself a guy that needs to be in consideration for starting every game um but I don't think he had an amazing game, and I don't really I don't love him when he does go out wide. I think he's a lot more effective in the center. And as far as Teal goes, I still think Teal's better as a striker than a, than a winger. Um, but he's you know perfectly adequate of playing on the wing when he does. Um, but I I don't think he had that much of an impact in this game when he when he did drift out wide. Yeah, it's just basically you know Teal and uh, Tommy Mack they had decent performances. I I would have to agree. I'd rather see Teal as a striker and. I think at the end of the day, McNamara is just better in that more central role. Um, so hopefully we see more of Tommy Mack, but credit to him just because he's been a real kind of Swiss Army knife for he's taken any role that uh, Bruce has asked of him. And he's definitely had a quality season so far. So shout out to Tommy Mack. Winger, central midfielder, Shakespeare, Tommy McNamara does it all. Uh, got a question from Discord about from Macho. Were the Revs robbed from by Club Brugge only paying $7 million? Uh, and Traeger on Twitter also might have some seller's remorse here. Was $7 million enough for Tejan Buchanan? Uh, explain to the people how the magic numbers work, because it should be talked more about. Um, and, you know, I think there's also, it's worth noting that there is a sell-on uh, fee um, if Tejan is sold, which he probably will be. The Revs get a little bit of additional revenue in the future. Now that's probably like 10% or something small. So if he sells for... I'll say 15 million. It's only another, you know, million and a half. So I, I would say that at most, you know, the Rebs are going to get eight to 8.5 million from this. I don't, I don't know if Tejan McCain's ever going to be sold by Club Bruges for $20 million. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, in terms of where does that number come from? Well, I mean, I think if you look at the um, Brendan Aronson sale last year, I know there's a little bit of a 
different position here, um, but I think that it, you can kind of look at all of the American sales and kind of go over to Europe and notice kind of the trending upward too. So I, I think there's probably some sale comps between, you know, players of that position and then other star players in MLS and kind of a combination between the league uh, and the position. And somehow they landed on $7 million. I'm fine with the sale price. I think we talked about this. I forget if it was offline or if it was on the podcast, but I'm perfectly fine with the sale price. I think the rumor about Chelsea buying bidding 11 million or something or whatever that was, I think that was complete BS. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't buy that at all. I, I think that was kind of a weird rumor probably put out there by an agent or, or maybe someone in Tejan's camp to, to kind of boost the price last minute. But 7 million seems fine to me overall. I know he had a great game tonight, but between you never know when, you know, Tejan Buchanan's contract might be ending uh, next year. You know, usually first contracts are four years. So next year would be his fourth year. So it's potential, you know, you have the potential of maybe going into Tejan's contract year. Um, you also risk potential injury. Uh, if Tejan tears his ACL, uh, that drops his market value and you lose a lot of leverage. So uh, I think the Revs did the right thing selling at this time. I think $7 million is a very, very fair price. Uh, that's going to add a lot to their budget. They're going to have a lot more flexibility to what they can do next year. Uh, and, you know, obviously when he has a good game, you're going to, you know, feel like it's uh, not a whole lot. But I, I think people need to recognize that Tejan is post-college. He's in his low to mid-20s. Um, his contract's coming up soon. Uh, and, and I think $7 million is a, a pretty fair price all the way around. So, um, guys, anything you want to add on the price of Tejan Buchanan and if there's any seller's remorse on your end? No, nah, I think at the end of the day, we're going to see Tejan continue the ball out and we're going to be like, how much could we have gotten for him? But $7 million, you know, that's definitely, I would say, a fair price. And, you know, that gives the Revolution some money to play with and, you know, hopefully go out and make an acquisition that, sup, you know, replaces the eventual loss of Tejan Buchanan. Because it's definitely going to be a big loss. He's someone who goes at the defenders, constantly is drawing fouls, and has been scoring goals at a pretty decent clip so far uh, this season. So, Definitely think it's a fair price. Obviously, if we're going to continue to see him perform well, we're going to wonder, oh, could we have gotten more? But at the end of the day, it's a solid price, and the Revolution should, Revolution should be happy. Revolution fans will definitely be happy, and Club Brewers should definitely uh, be happy with the player that they're going to get. Yeah, and I think this conversation would have been you know, different if it had happened on September 3rd instead of today when you know Tejan Buchanan played for Canada against Honduras uh, in a very poor performance. Got a yellow card, gave up a penalty kick, and was subbed out at halftime and had you know ice around his ankle. And people were wondering if he had a serious injury. In which case, that seven million looked like a, a great job by the Revolution to you know protect their asset and make sure that you know they didn't end up in a situation where um, you know they were in December. He was twelve months out from his contract expiring. I don't know if that's necessarily true. That you know that there's only a year left, but presumably you know assuming that they could have been in a situation where he was injured um, and you know they got nothing for him because you know six months from then you could sign a pre-contract agreement with somebody else and you know go for free. So you know I think the Revolution made a smart move selling him that window. I think his value is very high. I think seven million makes sense. Um, and of course, when you see Tejan, you know, have a good performance against El Salvador to to close out the window for Canada, and then have a good performance tonight, you're gonna think maybe the Revolution could have gotten more. Um, but I, I still think that it was the right price the Revolution got. I think it was the highest amount they were going to get in the window in which they traded him. And I think if they didn't. Uh, make that transfer in that window. There was, you know, too much risk going forward that that value could drop, that he could get injured, or that his contract could be only 12 months from expiring instead of 18 months, and then your negotiating position is a lot worse. 
Yeah, the bidding ended shortly after scoring against Mexico. There was not much more Tejan Buchanan could have done after he uh, scored against uh, Mexico uh, in the Gold Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of buyer's remorse. And honestly, too, you know, if, if they ended up selling him for $9 million with a sell-on fee, you know, obviously that that's a lot of money. You know, $2 million is a lot for a MLS, you know, budget. But as I say, I, I think there was a lot more downside and that price could have gone down if you held on to him as opposed to going up. And, and the other discussion is maybe they could have signed him to an extension and made him U22 player or something like that. Uh, but ultimately, I, I don't think I, I think it was in the best interest of both Tejan Buchanan and the Revolution uh, to sell him and move on because it seems like Tejan Buchanan also wants to move abroad and you know play overseas and extend his career that way as well. Uh, we did get a question here too from the Terminator on Discord. How do you see the Revs protecting their guns, Tejan, Buxa, and Heel down this stretch? We kind of touched on this earlier, Sam, about maybe not pushing them too, too much, especially with their big lead. Uh, we, we specifically talked about Gustavo Bo, but do you see them maybe limiting the minutes of Tejan, Buxa, and Heel down the stretch as well? It's definitely something that could happen. I think it will all depend on, you know, if the Revolution are going out and winning games like 4 nothing, then yeah, you get have the opportunity to maybe take a guy like Tejan Buchanan out after 50 or 60 minutes. But I do think, especially someone to watch is Carlos Heel. Just with his injury history and him being getting injured again this season, I think he's someone who could see his minutes decrease. I wouldn't say like he just completely misses the game, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, get 60 minutes or, you know, even 45 minutes. And if the Revolution are... In that situation, they're able to take him out and just ensure that he's healthy. Because obviously, you know, like I mentioned before, without Carlos Heel, I do not know if this. Rev- I don't. Th- I do not think they can win an MLS Cup. So you need to make sure that Carlos Heel is healthy. And if that means you know taking him out in the 45th minute or the 60th minute, that's some. That's just something you have to do. So I don't know what they're going to do with guys like Tejan, Buxa, uh, Bo. Definitely could again, be someone who gets arrested, but I definitely think he'll, uh, has to, uh, be arrested. Yeah. The, the only thing I'll add there is that, you know, some of it's out of their control with, um, Tejan Buchanan because of the international break and how crazy compact they are this year. Um, so if he's playing three games in a row for Canada, you know, you're, you're risking that he could get injured. Um, and there's nothing the revolution can do about that. But I do think that the revolution, because they have such a big lead in the standings, there are still a lot of midweek games on the revolution schedule coming up. And, you know, I think, um, at a minimum, none of these guys should be starting three games in a week. Um, I think that, you know, the revolution have the lead, um, enough lead in the standings where they can afford to do that. And, you know, we've seen Carlos Hill get injured. We've seen Gustavo Bo get injured. I think the revolution need to be smart and none of those guys should start three games in one week. And there's no reason why they need to, given the lead the revolution have in, in the standings. Yeah, and well, one person that I, I think might we we might see a little bit more is Adam Buxa, who you know n- wasn't always a ninety minute guy, but I could see them running him out a little bit, uh, maybe to show him off too, because as James Downing uh, is asking us about, there was a report out of Poland uh, that was dug up by Revolution Report. By the way, if you're on Twitter and you're not following Revolution Report, you absolutely should. Nothing gets by Revolution Report, so if you are into rumors uh, and any sort of Revolution chatter, uh, you need to follow. Revolution Report. Uh, but Revolution Report found uh, today that Leicester City reportedly made an offer to buy Adam Buxa six months ago for an undisclosed price uh, and planned to loan him to Belgium, uh, but it did not interest Adam Buxa or his agent. German and Italian clubs are also interested in Buxa, as well as Monaco, which was a rumor from a while ago, so this 
allegedly confirms it and quote big talks are starting now uh, and it's also worth noting that i believe the poland manager mentioned that buxa has talked to him about uh, transferring back to europe uh in the off season so maybe he's trying out for european teams uh sean what are your thoughts on these latest buxa rumors yeah, I mean, it's it's not surprising to me that after the window he had that there's interest in him. I don't know. I don't know if I believe, you know, everything that's come out about, you know, previous interest. But certainly after the window he's had for Poland, um, he put himself on the map in Europe. Uh, you know, getting the starts next to Lewandowski alone um, is very impressive that Poland thought that he was the right man for that for that job. But then, you know, scoring scoring four goals in that window certainly helped things as well. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Adam Buxa goes back to Europe. I think he always saw this as kind of a, a launching pad for him to, you know, boost his career, uh, play really well and, and you know get a move back to Europe. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if that happens in the offseason, um, whether or not these specific rumors are you know accurate and where it's going to end up. I don't know. Um, it, it's kind of weird to me that you know Lester would be interested in him before this window um I don't know what he had done to kind of deserve that um but I think after this window there's undoubtedly going to be a lot of interest in him and I wouldn't surprise me at all if he sold in the winter yeah agree with you there and you know I think Buxa did an interview before this season too where the plan was always to kind of be here short term and this was going to be another stepping stone to Europe so now that he's getting looks with the national team I'm sure he wants to kind of keep that momentum going and you know the revolution when they bought him allegedly kind of the the talk coming out of of uh the revolution was that this was going to be an investment that they were buying a young player that they were hoping to profit off of uh and allegedly he has a three-year deal i believe he said he had a three-year deal in that interview so uh there might be kind of the feeling that this is his last year and the revolution might be moving on from him uh so interesting that leicester city is the one that is kind of coming out that just seems like a very very high uh higher team than i kind of expected we heard monaco which seemed a little uh, that also seemed a bit high for Adam Buxa, uh, especially before he kind of had his hot stretch recently. Um, but the fact that there is interest from Europe in general is not a huge surprise. There was always interest in Buxa, even before the revolution bought him. Uh, I think a lot of teams see him as a high potential player, especially if they have wingbacks that can cross and need an aerial threat. Uh, so he might fit in with a lot of teams over in Europe. Uh, James Downing also asked us a couple of questions. He said, why did Turner come flying out of the net like my FIFA, ke- like my FIFA, FIFA keeper uh, when I mashed the Y button? <laughs> we got to touch on that one. I, I, I don't have any idea, but that's uh, absolutely a, a great comparison. I got to say, at least, at least Matt Turner didn't uh, do a flying knee this time like he did to Wayne Rooney that game. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him credit for not getting ejected and doing something stupid like that. But I, I don't think anyone's got the answer as to what he was thinking there. <laughs> yeah, lear- learning moment for Matt Turner there. Uh, and, and also, James says, is, is buy service lacking or is it just me? Definitely not you, James. Uh, we touched on that a little bit earlier. Definitely uh, not you. But uh, Eric asked a question. Did anyone see Henry accosting uh, Carla's heel after the final whistle? From my vantage point, it seemed like it could be either him teasing heel for not shooting when the keeper was still out of his net or he was actually upset about something. And I, Sam, I don't know. Did you see this from the press box? Uh, we saw it briefly uh, on camera as the final credits were coming up. Did you see this uh, happen from the press box? And, and what was your take? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, basically because we have to get rushed down to the field in order to participate in the postgame press conference. I didn't see this. I did see it on Twitter, I believe. I don't know. It might have even been you, Greg. Someone said it might have been, you know, heel actually being like, hey, you know, we should have gone that third goal or something like that. Um, but overall, you know, I've talked about Kessler before, uh, before he seems to really be establishing himself on this team, making a role for himself, you know, being a physical player, being kind of an enforcer, I guess you could say, 
obviously there was incidents out uh, in Philly where he had the entire state of Pennsylvania after him. Um, so it seems like Kessler kind of has established himself on this team. He's no longer that young rookie. You know, he's he's a center back. He's going to let you know if you did something wrong. He's not afraid to get in an opponent's face. So it's really been interesting to see him kind of etch out this role for himself. No, I agree with you 100%. It, it seemed like he was trying to tell him something, like he wanted a ball somewhere or something like that. I was trying to remember what play this could be talking about, and it seemed recent. It seemed like he'll it had just happened or, or Kessler missed something. Um, but I'm not totally sure what it was, so I, I'm really confused. Kessler seemed to be the one kind of explaining himself to Carly's heel. Um, so I, I'm not totally sure what happened. There was the play at the end of the game where Hill was leading a three on two and he left it for Buxa uh, and Buxa kind of worked his way back in the center and shot the ball wide. So it still led to a pretty good chance. So I don't know if there was something on that play that they missed or if there was something, I, I, I'm very, very, very confused as to uh, what exactly happened there. I, I'm going to chalk it up as nothing, probably just teammates arguing over a play or something like that, but it's very weird to see that type of confrontation after a game. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to chalk that up to nothing, but you know, we'll we'll see. I'm one, I wonder if uh, any any revs make uh, comments on it after the game. I, I'm just going to assume it's nothing because there was nothing really significant going on um, before that. So uh, Eric also asked uh, actual question I had tonight: Who picked the location for the Ford and Gillette? Did they just uh, did they just default there because it's an end line? It's just a bummer to see them rocking with all their might, but to still hear the away fans because they have uh, better acoustics in that corner. Uh, that's actually something I've never really thought about. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts? I assume it's just because it is at the end line uh, and it's closest to the parking lot, so you have to make the away fans walk all the way around the stadium, uh, you know, and, and make the press and the away fans uh, walk to the other sides of the stadium while the fans can, uh, you know, have an easier walk uh, in from their tailgate. Yeah, I don't know the background on on why it's been there, but it's always been there. It was, you know, there in Foxborough Stadium. It's there as long as I as I can remember. Um, I, you know, I'm sure part of it is a. You know, they wanted to put the four where the tickets are most affordable. Um, and, you know, that's the end line. I'm, I'm sure that was part of it. You know, I don't I don't think they wanted to put the the fort and make it GA or something at midfield um, when they can sell those tickets for top dollar. Uh, but I think it's also I'm trying to think, I think throughout the league, it's generally in the the end line. Um, I agree the acoustics aren't the best in part because of how Gillette's designed with the, you know, the big gap for the lighthouse and the the tunnel there. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't know really what the, the thought process was was putting it there other than I it seems that that's pretty common where um, supporter sections generally are in stadiums throughout MLS and it's the you know, the cheapest ticket in the house. Um, so it's probably the, the easiest for the revs to kind of make that the GA standing section um, as opposed to, you know, doing it in midfield or something. Yeah. I also want to give credit to NYCFC's fans because even though I did see a report that there might've been some shenanigans after the match, um, they definitely showed out. Um, I was in the press box and I could hear the drums like, it seemed like they were right below us, so credit to them for showing out. But yeah, it also seems like if the Revs were in a maybe a soccer-specific stadium, they might have better acoustics for their fans, but we'll never know if that happens. <laughs> add, uh, add acoustics to another reason why the Revs need a soccer-specific stadium. We'll add that to the uh, long-going list. I'm sure that'll uh, change things uh, around Foxborough. Uh, one more question here from Jason Schmidt. He says the first half wasn't bad, even without Bo Buxa, Buchanan, and Heal. This team runs deep. So the question: How far would the Revs team would this Revs team have gone in the U.S. Open Cup if Chris didn't <laughs> didn't mess it up uh, and get it canceled single-handedly by saying the Revs would win the Open Cup? Uh, Sam, how far do you think the Revs would have gone in the U.S. Open Cup? I mean, 
because Chris messed it up, I'm pretty sure they would have won it all. And Chris ruined that for all of New England. You know, even with just how deep this roster is, the the depth's crazy. Matt Pulse talking about it uh, in the post game, but this team is so deep, and I definitely think they could make a run. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won it. So it's a real shame that uh, Chris decided to ruin that for all of New England, even all the way out in England to our boy uh, Mike over in the United Kingdom. Chris just decided to ruin that for everyone. So it's a real shame, honestly. A real shame. No, I was just going to say, and my only, I, I think that the depth on this team certainly uh, could have seen them do very, very well in the U.S. Open Cup, and it would have been great to watch, and it would have been great to see guys like Kizza get you know, minutes in that tournament. My only my only one hesitation there is I, I think Bruce Arena's only won, you know, for all the great teams that he's had, I think he's only won the Open Cup once, and that was back in 1996. <laughs> that um, just means so he's I, due, Sean. That just well, means he's I, due. I, it's just, to me, I, you know, with all the talent the teams he's had, I'm not sure how much he actually cares about the open cup. And, and, you know, again, maybe that wouldn't have really mattered because they have so much depth this year, but you know, if they came up against another team like a Seattle that we know, you know, cares a lot about the open cup, um, that might've been their downfall, but yeah, I, I, the depth of this team could have seen them go pretty far. I think there, there definitely is a podcast that Bruce arena did where he complained about being with the galaxy and they had to like fly to Charlotte or something for an open cup game. And they had to use one of their charter flights and they had to spend like a huge amount of money to fly to like Charlotte and then they end up losing the game anyway. Um, so I don't think he's a huge fan of the U.S. Open Cup. But you know what? I think that's just a front. And I think that it just bothers him that it's been so long since he's won the Open Cup. Uh, and he probably would have gone for it all all in this year. And with this team, I mean, I'm sure they would have gone all the way. I think it's a fair statement to say that Chris cost the Revs a trophy. Potentially a treble if they win the Sports Shield and the MLS Cup. I think that's a really fair statement. I also think that's a very fair statement, and it's just a real shame. And I, w- I would hope that Chris doesn't have to hear about this, but it's a real shame that you know he did that to every single Revolution fan. Also, I do want to. You mentioned Sam, uh, a fan over in the UK, Mike, uh, and he revs UK. Also, shout out to I, I, I'm going to mispronounce your name, Greg. I'm so sorry, but Greg Pierco, uh, who is down in San Marino, and he is representing the Revolution. He tweeted us a photo of him in San Marino, the land that Adam Buxa has conquered on international duty. So the Revolution, one step closer uh, to becoming a global brand. So uh, just wanted to give him a quick shout out tonight. Uh, and then one more thing before we get going, uh, and I, I, we did not prep this, so I have some suggestions here, but we did get a comment from Traeger uh, before the game. Actually, it was in response to you, Sam, where he wanted us to come up with some nicknames. Um, I guess, Sam, you tweeted out that you were calling Tejon the Six God. Is that because of Toronto? Is that why it's Six God? Is that his new nickname, Sam? Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking about Drake, so yeah, in Canada, so... Uh, I got see as as someone who is over 30 I know very little about Drake but yes uh, Traeger says that um, wouldn't Polster be the sixth god uh, and then he also says he wants to call Adam Buxa the postman uh, because he hits the post a lot so he wanted to see if we could do a full episode on giving nicknames uh, maybe during a bye week Um, so I was kind of coming up with some nicknames I want you guys to grade them here Uh, I was kind of thinking of some during the game Uh, I know you guys don't have any suggestions but I have a couple of them right here uh, so, uh, you actually, Willie beat me to this, but, uh, the obvious, uh, Emmanuel Gotang instead of yes. Botang. So it's Goat. I think, A plus. I, I think we have to go with that. And I know I, I came up with that before Willie tweeted out. So Willie stole my ideas from reading my mind. So I don't appreciate that Willie. 
Uh, but I just wanted to, to throw that out there that I had it first. It was written down before he tweeted that out. Um, I also, uh, Carl Sutherland tweeted at us that uh, he thinks the correct way to spell Matt Polster's last name is P-O-L-L-S-T-R, like Polster, like completing a poll. Uh, so I want to call Matt Polster Matt Anti-538 Polster because he's very reliable, uh, kind of like the opposite of 538 Polsters. <laughs> That's a bit of a mouthful. But I like Ant- it. Matt, anti-538 pollster. I think it works. Uh, I got one here. Um, Edward Hauche Kizza, because we were told he's going to score goals, but he doesn't have a pro- professional goal yet. Too, too soon. Too soon for that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a D minus right there. Also, Kiz is just such a strong nickname. I should be nice. He got an assist. I'll cross that off the list. He got an assist. We'll be nice. We'll be nice. Uh, but also, too, my, here's here's the one I got here because Henry Kessler had his heel turn last week in Philadelphia, which, by the way, I was at. I loved every moment of that. I was in a Philadelphia union section, and the amount of curse words that were coming out of children's mouths were hilarious. So uh, just a full heel turn from Henry Kessler. It reminded me of the greatest heel turn of all time. Uh, when Hulk Hogan turned on Randy Savage uh, in 1996 uh, in WCW and became Hollywood Hulk Hogan. So I want to call Henry Kessler Hollywood Henry Kessler. What do you guys think of that one? I mean, I think Kessler already has a really strong nickname in King Kess, so it's going to be really tough to top that. I... No, I, he's got to go full heel, though. I, I, I want to see him be a full... He dove again today, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that, but there was a time where they were wasting time and he fell down again easily. Not afraid of the fines at all, so... I I, uh, I believe it's Tom Clinton who uh, Kessler was leaving, and he asked Kessler where he's from, and he's from, like, lower Manhattan. So, like, I, I feel like it'd be disingenuous to call him Hollywood. You know, he's a, he's a New York City kid. Is he, uh, is he an uptown boy? <laughs> Had he, like, nicknamed himself Longlegs at some point, too? Wasn't, isn't, yes. does he, how, many, how many nicknames can he have? I mean, if, when you're that much of a legend, you can have infinite name, nicknames, in my opinion. So, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say I'm one for four here. This was not a good showing. Um, this was, this was like cap two duels. This was just not a good showing for me tonight. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of think uh, anymore. And if we have any, any suggestions from our listeners, please tweet it at us. Uh, David civilian had a couple of them. Uh, Andrew, Mr. Revolution Farrell and Dewan the smile Jones. Uh, Dewan does have a good smile. So I'm, I'm fine with those ones. Those are better than mine. Um, and I assume you guys don't have any other suggestions and you uh, want to move on from this quickly. No, I mean, we could call Dewan Jones DJ. It'd be simple. I was thinking of the Lil Wayne song, Go DJ. Um, but besides that, Matt Turner either has to be the people's keeper or America's keeper. I like the people's keeper. Yes, I, I was tweeting uh, with Sam uh, from the Sam's Army podcast, and he coined that term, so I want to give him credit. Um, the people's keeper, it, it just has to be that. Um I think that's really all I can have. Uh, do we want to call Wilfred Captoon the Invisible Man because he just doesn't show up? Maybe. I don't know. Well, I uh, thought we were being nice here. I thought we were being nice. If I if I don't get credit for the Hauche Kiza nickname, you don't get credit for the Invisible Man nickname. Hey, they, it's, a, it's a little bit different to uh, go negative on a, on a rookie that hasn't had that many chances yet over <laughs> going negative on the fourth highest paid player who came up through Barcelona's system. <laughs> I guess this is fair. Um Either way, I'm really glad that no one from the team actually listens to this podcast. So, um, yeah, <laughs> um, guys, any uh, 
any final thoughts here before we part tonight? Oh, actually, one more thing. Actually, and we're talking about Willie. Uh, while we're talking about it, they said on the broadcast, uh, an unnamed uh, player on the Philadelphia Union who may or may not be a uh, German-born Polish striker uh, took Willie's phone and threw it. Uh, that's that's a pretty pretty insane story. So justice for Willie's phone. Hashtag justice for Willie's phone. Uh, pretty messed up. Uh, and, I, you know, Philadelphia fans think it's all messed up for, you know, uh, Henry Kessler to throw a ball into the stands. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure they're outraged that Willie's phone, which has so much incredible content and is uh, certainly much more valuable than some, you know, crappy ball, uh, got chucked. So uh, I just want to throw that in there that uh, that's pretty messed up, uh, a named uh, Philadelphia striker. It's, uh, I, I don't know, very, very disappointed to hear that. Yeah, I'm very disappointed pointed to hear that uh, a not-so-friendly ghost would do such a thing. And, you know, speaking upon that, I do just want to mention, I was able to ask Henry Kessler why he uh, decided to launch a ball into the stands last week. And he said, I think the ball had to go. The first one had to go. Then I saw the second one, and I was on the sideline, out of position, so I thought the second one had to go as well. I mean, that's just amazing work from Henry Kessler. It's, it's a non-answer, but to me, it, it was beautiful. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I got to say from all this is the revolution haven't, haven't had a real rivalry in a while, you know, back in the day they had rivalries with Chicago fire with the Metro stars, the Red Bulls, um, and with DC United, because they were playing them a lot in a lot of meaningful games in the postseason. And, you know, because the revolution had been sporadically in the postseason and those other teams have been kind of sporadically in the postseason since, I think those rivalries pretty much died. Um, so really over the past couple weeks to see the revolution build a rivalry with Philadelphia um, that I think is kind of been because they played so many games over the past few years and play a playoff game. And now I even think with New York City, I think this game you know got kind of testy towards the end. Um, I think we're actually starting to see some you know actual animosity between teams. and you know, that's that's exciting to me because I don't think the revolution have really had a real rivalry in a while. I mean, union fans were not happy. and and to be fair, if this happened against the revolution, I would be very mad about it as well. Uh, this was incredible trolling uh, from uh, from uh, Henry Kessler. But yeah, I mean, between the rivalry from the COVID rivalry, where we're playing Philadelphia seemingly every single week uh, to this this latest installment. And it seems like the last few games with Philadelphia has been very physical, has been very chippy. It seems like for whatever reason, um, you know, it, it seems kind of personal. Uh, and even before the Henry Kessler ball thrown into the stands, Carlos Hill was taking a beating when he came into this game, or, or I shouldn't say this game, last week's game. Uh, so yeah, it's a real rivalry to me. I think Philadelphia is our new, uh, our, our new rival, um, you know, cause I think DC and, and Chicago have kind of fallen off the map and New York just, uh, the hatred doesn't seem to be there. Whereas I think Henry Kessler has, uh, you know, taken this up a, a few notches and has, uh, really, you know, is one of the, uh, you know, most unfavorable people in, uh, Delaware County right now. So, uh, kudos to Kessler though. I, that was, uh, that was hilarious. It was, it was very hard not to reveal myself as a revolution fan, uh, in that moment, uh, and trying to hold in my laughter. Cause, uh, that was just absolutely splendid. So, uh, any final thoughts here, Sam, any final thoughts before you depart? I'm just, I'm just very happy that we finally figured out why, uh, Kessler, uh, wanted to get rid of that ball and just happy that the revs were able to walk away with a win. And also you did just kind of mention, you know, of NYCFC, Tati Castellanos is a very aggravating player to watch. He's like the definition of 
like a pest, like in hockey. Reminds me of Brad Marchand. Just very annoying. And also, he's very annoying when he can't score from like two feet. Um, but besides that, good win for the Revs and hope they continue to just keep rolling. Sean, anything you want to say before we wrap up here today? No, I, I just agree with Sam about <laughs> agree with Sam about Castellanos. I mean, <laughs> I think I I trashed him a bit a few weeks ago for all of the great chances that he was blowing and leading the league and big chances missed. But I think he's kind of been on fire since then. So I'm going to take credit for his uh, finishing getting a bit better. Um, but he is a extremely frustrating player to watch when you're playing against him um, because of how skillful he is and, and what he can do against you. And I, I have to imagine he's been an extremely frustrating player for New York City FC to have um, because of all those chances he's missed this year. And I think New York could be a lot higher uh, in their points total if if he was a bit more efficient with his chances, which I think he has been the past few weeks, but hadn't been earlier in the season. Yeah, and uh, one thing I, I just want to point out, actually, uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking through here, but Tim Crawford, someone asked us a question about how many points uh, the Revs need before they reach a playoff, before they clinch a playoff spot, and Tim Crawford has replied to him and said that the number is 59, and they are currently at, oh boy, what, 55? 55, which, which every year in the history of the league has been good enough to make the playoffs, so it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and, and they've it looks like Nashville tied tonight, so they have extended they're up sixteen points on Nashville, although Nashville has two games in hand. But even if they win those two games, we're talking about a ten point difference there. So uh, a very, very comfortable lead from New England. Oh, sorry, it just updated. Did it uh, Nashville won tonight, didn't they? Nashville won tonight. I apologize. Nashville won tonight. But even if Nashville wins their next two games, we're talking about an eight point gap uh, between first and second place. So so very comfortable lead uh, by the revolution. Uh, and I did have a final thought, but I completely forgot what it was. So I'm going to lead into the outro. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap if you don't already. And please also follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages where we post updates on our podcasts. Also, please check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, as we mentioned. And please use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order when you find something you like. Go there. Check it out. Uh, follow them on Instagram, on Twitter. They do new reveals every single week. So if you go to their website, you don't find anything you like make sure you're following them on social media and you'll get videos weekly of their new inventory that's coming in and i guarantee you're going to find something that you're going to want in your closet uh, also please make sure you're subscribed to itunes or wherever you're listening if you haven't listened already please go back and make sure you listen to our interview with brett johnson of usl to rhode island a very very good interview if you're a soccer fan in rhode island or in the nearby area that's interested in usl soccer lower league soccer uh, you're going to want to hear about that project that's going on there he was very transparent some really really great stuff there about uh, what's happening down in Pentucket. Uh, and by the way, if you did like the interview, if you want to hear more interviews, we're always inspired when we get positive feedback. So make sure you rate and review us five stars on Instagram or wherever you're listening. We'll try to do an in another interview when we get to about 75 uh, five-star reviews. So if you get us to that 75 number, uh, we'll, we'll get another interview for uh, our listeners. Maybe a, a midweek or a bi-week podcast, we'll, we'll squeeze another bonus. Uh, but after all that, uh, that does it for this week. We'll be back next week after the Revs host Columbus and hopefully gain another three points. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.